Chapter 31 Bloody Hammer It should have been a simple assault. Things just got, um, out of hand, I guess. He was choking. His face was beat red. His hands were turning purple. I placed the head of the hammer to his temple and warned him not to make any noise or I would use it. Recent experience had taught him that I wasn't bluffing. I pulled the duct tape off his mouth quickly, like a band-aid. There was a tooth stuck to it, and lots of blood. Plenty of blood. I cupped my hands under his chin and let the warm liquid flow into them. Jesus, there was blood everywhere. More ran down his forearms from the lacerations on his wrist caused by the fishing line I had used to hold him in place against the wall. His arms outstretched like a frog ready for dissecting or Christ in his most provocative pose. It had soaked through his once-perfect beige vintage western shirt with the pearl snaps. He had it all. The shirt, the boots, the long but not too long feathered hair. It was the uniform of the new California singer-songwriter, those who worship at the altar of Graham Parsons as if he invented country music. You know one of these assholes, don't you? I returned to the wall with a fresh handful of blood to finish the job at hand. Rick McCullum beats women. I smeared the words in two-foot letters. I suppose I could have used a marker or spray paint, but there wasn't any time to run to the store. If he managed to get himself down later, he would probably feel compelled to clean it up himself. But if the police were to find him first... This message would help speed up that whole established motive thing. Somewhere in my prefrontal cortex, I knew this was real lunatic-type stuff, but it had to be done. There were ribs to break, black eyes to conjure, a throat to bruise, and seemingly endless amounts of kicking and punching to be done, none of which this little prick seemed to be willing to stand still for. I would have thought I had become more evolved by this time. I had been sure that the fundamental changes I had made in my life made me better prepared to interact with real people in the real world. I wanted him to know that although I was angry with him, this wasn't personal. I was giving him an opportunity, which unfortunately he declined. You would think, I explained as I finished my lettering, that committing acts of violence when you're sober would be a totally different animal. I stepped back to admire my work. You know, being aware of my character defects, knowing I should have called my sponsor and talked through this before I drove over here. All that knowledge should have slowed me down. He attempted to turn his head to see what I was doing to no avail. He spit a mouthful of blood on the carpet. My hands! I got no feeling in my fucking hands, he coughed. I brought the hammer down on his left hand. His scream told me that he got some of the feeling back. I shoved the palm of my hand into his mouth and pushed his head against the wall as he worked through the pain. Shh. I understand you weren't much of a guitar player anyway. You don't wake up in the morning and plan for something like this to happen, of course. What really happens is you bolt up fear-stricken. You remember where you are. You wish it were just a nightmare. You make coffee in a strange kitchen. You smell the half and half to make sure it's not sour. You arm yourself with lighter fluid and matches. Kiss your favorite picture of her on the refrigerator. 
take a deep breath, and go to work. The garage door required a little bit of muscle to roll up. When the dust resolved and the gasoline fumes dissipated, what was left were the floor-to-ceiling remains of one who chose not to live in the past, but instead let it rot in cardboard boxes. There were slabs of vinyl without covers piled waist-high, a record collector's nightmare covered in cigarette ash and candle wax and grime. There were boxes and boxes of photographs and magazine clippings and faulty wiring hanging here and there and how the whole place didn't burst into flame on its own accord is a mystery to me still. Against the back wall, there were three six-foot stacks of notebooks, nearly all of them the black-and-white Mead composition ones that she favored. I stood close and breathed in vanilla, clove, shady boyfriends, catty girlfriends, true love, confusion and loneliness, triumph, laughter, bitterness and longing, cinnamon and hairspray. In the corner, a shorter stack of the more recent journal sat in the palm of that goddamn black plastic hand chair. She had dug it out from under the rubble of her life and dusted it off to show me that she still had it. In the last 48 hours, I had punched steering wheels, cursed fate, trespassed, and behaved generally recklessly. But this was the first time that I cried. At the top of the stack on the chair was a lone manila folder. Written on the tab were the words, Legal shit. I pushed the button to the intercom. Yeah? The rude little box said. Rick? Yeah, who's that? Hey man, it's Kevin. I lied. There was a long pause. I talked to you last week about a tour of the studio. More lies. Another pause. I'm a friend of Eddie's. Technically, I did have a friend named Eddie once, so this was not a lie. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, uh, give me five minutes. I'll be right there. I had obviously woken him up. When he answered the door, I was a little disappointed. He was much shorter than I imagined, and he appeared to be hungover and disheveled. This would hardly be fair. We shook hands the way regular people shake hands. He welcomed me in, and I excused his mess, and I declined the customary offer of a beverage. He explained to me that they were building out a such-and-such -such booth, and that I shouldn't worry because it would be totally ready by the time I got there, and that I should check out this reverb, and that delay, and this totally killer compressor. And I stood there and I nodded my head like I knew exactly what the fuck he was talking about. I'm sure the sales pitch on his goods and services was quite good, but the fact that I had no questions and contributed very little to the conversation was probably off-putting. After a half-hearted attempt to push his skills as a producer-arranger on my next project, we stood there in silence. I picked a hammer out of the toolbox laying at the foot of an exposed beam. This is nice, I said, cradling it in my palm, feeling its weight. Um, yeah, like I said, all this construction should be cleared up after the weekend. What I'm really interested in discussing is this, I said, pulling several folded pieces of paper out of the inside pocket of my jacket. Have you seen these before? He squinted his eyes. I noticed a pushpin on a bulletin board above his coffee maker. May I borrow this, I asked, pulling it out without waiting for an answer. A business card for some guitar player fell to the floor. This is a domestic violence report filed by Carrie Finch last year, I said, pinning the document to the wall.
I don't know what you're talking about, he stuttered. Really? How about this one she filed seven months ago? I stuck it on the wall next to the first. He looked around nervously. I reached behind me and deadbolted the door shut. Now I know you remember this restraining order because your mommy and your daddy had to hire some expensive lawyer pigs to make it disappear. His eyes darted around until they stopped on the mixing console where his phone sat next to an ashtray. I read from the restraining order while I crossed the room and picked up his phone. Because of the respondent's increasingly violent and erratic behavior, I dropped it on the floor. I'm afraid the respondent will hurt me again. I crushed his phone with the heel of my boot. Look, dude, his voice cracked. Listen, unless you're standing on a goddamn beach with a motherfucking surfboard in your arm, do not use the word dude. It's kind of douchey. Sorry, pet peeve. Okay, what I'm trying to say is, oh yeah, why don't you shut the fuck up, I suggested as I grabbed a fistful of hair on the back of his head and escorted him over to the wall. I held him so his face was a couple of inches from the documents. I would like you to read aloud from this section entitled, Recent Abuse, Please. He jabbed an elbow backward into my ribs, which struck me as kind of stupid. I smashed his nose into the wall and held him there while twisting the offending elbow up behind his shoulder blades. What do you want from me, man? I don't want anything from you. I'm giving you an opportunity to make penance. What the fuck are you talking about? A single drop of blood trickled from his nostril. Penance, it means atonement, amends. It sounds to me like you're talking about revenge. His voice went up an octave and cracked. Tomato to fucking motto. Now please, read aloud and you can skip the bit about the verbal abuse. Name-calling never really interested me. I leaned in close. That seems like something you'd only do if you were a little bitch, I whispered in his ear. If I read this, will you let me go? I spoke the next words slowly and clearly so as not to be misunderstood. I think it's only fair that I replicate the injuries she sustained by your hand on you. Are you serious? Quite. Things got ugly after that. He had the temerity to be uncooperative, let's say. Sometimes I get lucky. I'd like to say that this was a thoroughly well-thought-out plan. I'd like to pat myself on the back for being the genius that picked a relatively soundproof recording studio at a musician-unfriendly hour to ambush his new adversary. But that's not true. I'd like to say it was a fair fight. I'd like to say I didn't enjoy myself and I was merely an agent of recompense and that no good ever came from a violent act. But none of that's true either. My hand clutched his throat. I squeezed so hard I felt something pop inside. His frenzy of flailing arms and feet slowed and he fell to the floor with a thud. I didn't want him dead, necessarily. I felt his wrist for a pulse like they do in the movies. I wasn't finished with him yet. History of Abuse While we were dating, Respondent was physically violent with me. On or about the 7th of November, he became angry and threw a bottle of beer at me. He then started pouring the beer on me. During this time, the Respondent lived with me. Shortly thereafter, Respondent beat 
and kicked and choked me. The neighbors overheard the commotion and they called the police. Because of his increasingly violent behavior towards me, I told the respondent to move out of my home. I received treatment for cracked ribs, multiple contusions, and a bruised larynx. Where did you punch her, Rick? He slowly shook his head. I'm going to point at a part of your body, and when I guess correctly, you're going to nod your head. Got it? I pointed at his forehead. He stared at me blankly. I pointed to his nose. Same stare. I ran my finger down the tip of his nose and stopped at his duct-taped mouth. He blinked. What was that? Was that a nod? He shook his head frantically, but I hit him in the mouth three or four times anyway. You punched her in her sweet mouth, really? I asked as I paced back and forth in front of him, rubbing my sore knuckles. I hauled back and punched him square in the nose. Oh shit, I'm sorry. That was gratuitous. Totally unnecessary. I resumed my reading. Let's move on to kicking, shall we? Recent abuse. On or about May 5th, the respondent began to call me numerous times over and over again. I received over 14 calls in a half-hour period. At approximately 12.15 a.m., the respondent showed up at my home. The respondent tried to get into my home, and I ran to the phone and dialed 911. I tried to hold the door with one hand as I was on the phone. The respondent forced his way in and grabbed me. I began to scream for help. The respondent covered my mouth with his hand. I managed to bite the respondent's hand and started to run away. The respondent chased me outside and grabbed me again as I was screaming for help. The respondent attempted to kidnap me by forcing me into his car. The respondent kicked and punched me in the front yard of my home. Neighbors heard me screaming and came out of their homes until the police arrived. The respondent was arrested. See attached sheriff's booking report. I needed a break and the pot of coffee smelled pretty good. He only had sweet and low and powdered creamer, which I considered a fucking dick move of uncalled for proportions. I sipped and I watched him shift his weight from one foot to the other in an effort not to apply any more pressure to the wire that bound his wrist to the beams that would someday be the such-and-such -such booth that he spoke so fondly of. As long as he stood upright, the wire couldn't cut any deeper into his flesh. His feet were crudely duct-taped to either side of a stool that I had set between his legs. I was pretty proud of the job I had done, considering the time and the tools I had to work with and the improvisational nature of our situation. Dear Ms. Finch, I hope all is well. If an attorney represents you, kindly forward this to his or her attention. Our office represents Mr. Rick McCullum stemming from the false allegations you have made against him. It is my intent to fully advocate his interests, including seeking attorney fees from you for the falsification of claims in the restraining order. While I understand your condition and need for continued medical treatment, those factors in no way justify harming my client. A judge and or jury may of course feel differently, and a detailed review of your shock treatments, erratic behavior, and questionable pass may be of interest. I set the letter down and I beat him until my knuckles were bruised and swollen. I lifted his head up by his hair. You still with us, buddy? I picked his missing tooth off the duct tape and slipped it into the front pocket of his shirt 
I snapped his pearl button shut. I wasn't sure if he was still conscious, but I continued to talk to him as I stapled each sheet of official paperwork next to the giant bloody letters on the wall as the finishing touches to my masterpiece. You may have lawyers and rich fucking parents and big shot musician friends looking out for you, but I don't give a fuck, and I'm going to tell the whole goddamn world exactly what you are. I tore off a fresh piece of duct tape and covered his mouth again, and I punched him in the face one more time for the road. I would say good luck, Rick, but I really don't give a shit. Now what? I drove down Cerro Gordo towards Alvarado Street. I rinsed the blood out of my black t-shirt in the restroom of a shell station and bought a pair of shades, a carton of cigarettes, a Diet Coke, and a tank full of gas. On the passenger seat were two envelopes. I left the one addressed to your father on your desk. He'll be there soon. Except for the broken window panel on your back door, I left your place pretty much the way I found it. I am enlightened enough to know that revenge is a mortal pleasure, and far too trivial a matter to be of interest to you now. But I think you knew what would happen when I found that folder. I'd be willing to bet you had that cute little sneer on your face when you placed it there and clapped the dust off your hands. So you wink, and I'll nod, and we'll both agree that I was merely accelerating karma. Still, that's not the kind of behavior that goes unanswered in this world. I have essentially evoked a scorched earth policy on every bridge I have crossed. Somewhere soon, a police officer or a Samoan guy with a crowbar is going to get a description of me. I pulled the cash out of the envelope addressed to me. The bills were so crisp and new they appeared counterfeit. I held one up to the light like they do in retail stores, but I had no idea what I was looking for. I counted it out on my lap. $7,500 minus the 50 or 60 bucks I just spent on provisions. This, the carton of cigarettes, and the trunk and back seat filled with mead composition notebooks I considered my assets. I picked up the last envelope, addressed just to Rocky Erickson, Austin, Texas. It seemed like as good a place as any. I started the car. I caught myself dealing with death the same corny way other people do. I used the fairy tale of heaven and the promise of reconciliation and paradise like morphine. Like when I finally got there, too, we would have a big laugh at the last ten years we wasted being scared of each other. I numbed my guilt and cowardly negligence with the assumption that you were happier now that you were looking down and smiling at the horrific thing I did. I doubt it. I hope that we are better than that after this life. I hope you will forgive me. I hope the distortion has been silenced and your pain is gone. I hope the voices in your head are sweet ones. I hope you are dancing with your grandfather as Duke Ellington's band plays in the background. I hope your absurd laugh is drowning out the music. I do hope you're in a better place. Fuck that. I wish you were here right now.